resume our study through the book of Revelation. So if you have a Bible, open with me to the book of Revelation. Chapter 2 is where we left off in our verse-by-verse study together. I know it's been a couple of weeks. Wasn't Easter week great? Isn't that a blessing? That was so awesome. Revelation chapter 2. We left off at the, which church do we leave off at? You guys remember? Sounded kind of right. Pergamos, right? Pergamos is where we left off. You guys with me this morning? Church of Pergamos, verse 12. So we'll look at that. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for this time to be with you this morning. Thank you that you are faithful, Lord, as we we sang this morning. That is who you are. You're faithful. Thank you that all your promises are yes and amen. We can rest in your word. We can rest in you this morning. Thank you that you've given us the, the complete picture as we look at Revelation. We know how it ends, that you win, Lord Jesus. And that we're on your team, and we thank you that you've made us part of your team, part of your family. And we pray this morning, Lord, for anyone that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation, that they might open their heart to you, Jesus, come to know you personally. And so we thank you for the great things you're going to do this morning, work in our hearts and our lives, for you're the one that searches the hearts and minds. And so, Lord, search our hearts, our minds, minister to us now, teach us, transform us by the power of your Spirit. For your glory we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. So the book is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. What does revelation mean? Unveiling, uncovering, revealing is what it means. Jesus is being revealed to us in a fresh way, in an awesome way, um, in in a way that is impacting in a way that is inspiring also as we look at this book. For some of us, we, we've been, we're receiving some needed reminders about Jesus, who he is, his character, um, what he desires in his church, what pleases him, what displeases him. And so remember, this is, I don't think Revelation is that hard to understand. And one of the reasons why is because we've been given a divine outline. You guys remember what that divine outline is? Chapter 1, verse... Chapter 1, verse 19, Jesus gives us an outline for the entire book. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that Jesus gave us an outline for this book? <laughs> Otherwise, like, you'd be out, you, we'd be like out in the cold, man. We'd be like, what's going on here? We'd be, we'd be kind of like trying to figure things out, but he gives us this divine outline to help us that we might understand this book. And there's over 500, there's 550 references back to the Old Testament And we're going to see some of those this morning. That's important to be reminded of, too. But this divine outline, Jesus said to the Apostle John, he said to John while he was on the Isle of Patmos, right, I want you to write down the things which what? Which you have seen, number one, the things which are, number two, and the things which will take place after this. So our three-part outline, the things which you have seen. What did John see? Jesus, chapter one, right? Jesus shows up, glorified, resurrected, awesome, 
reveals himself to John. That's the things that he had seen. The things which are are in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Those are the seven letters, or I like to remember them by seven report cards that Jesus gives to the churches, seven literal historical churches that had existed in John's day. But we realize, too, that those churches you can see throughout all of church history, even up till today, that those churches exist. You can be in any one of those seven churches um, this morning. And so we're looking at those churches currently. But then we find the third part of the outline is the things which will take place after this. And that goes on from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 22. Chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see the church in heaven. We get a snapshot of heaven. It's so beautiful. We see God on the throne. We see the, Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain for us. We're reminded of, of those, those wounds that, that he bore for us as he suffered and died on the cross for our sins. We will be reminded of that throughout eternity, of the price that was paid to redeem us, to set us free. And then in chapter 6, we see that the tribulation begins. In chapter 6 through 19, is the tribulation period, this time of pressing and, and uh, God's wrath, his, his unmitigated wrath poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. And why is chapter 4 and 5 important that the church is there? Because we don't see the church in those chapters at all on earth. We've been removed. What's the means of, of deliverance? The rapture of the church. Right, Jesus coming for his bride. We will meet him in the air. He'll take us to the place that he's preparing for us. Right, He's preparing a place for you and me. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said, I go to the Father's house, to the place I'm preparing for you, and I'll come back again to receive you to myself. So we see the church in heaven, 4 and 5, tribulation, chapter 6 through 19. In chapter 19, Jesus returns at the end of that chapter. Who's, he, who's with him? Us, you guys, we come back with Jesus, and he is going to wipe out every enemy. He is going to set up his kingdom on earth, his, his millennial kingdom. That is his second coming to this earth. He will set up his kingdom for how long? Thousand years, right? Thousand year reign. We see that. Chapter 20, chapter 21, chapter 22, we see the new heaven and the new earth in which we will take part in. And so we live happily ever after. Amen. How's it all going to end up? In the end, Jesus wins, you guys. And, and, you know, we don't have to stress out. We don't have to freak out. We don't have to get all crazy when we hear the news or read the news. We know how it ends. We are on, we're on the right team, you guys. It's so important to be on the right side of God this morning. And how can you be on the right side of God? By trusting in his only begotten son, by trusting in Jesus Christ. We know our destiny. God is in control. He has a plan, not only generally, but also individually for your life also. It's great to be reminded that your life is in his hands. If you're trusting in him, that he is in control of your life too, you guys. That your life is in his hands, your times are in his hands. And so we found ourselves in the second part of this outline, um, the things which are, the seven uh, letters to the churches. We looked at the church of Ephesus first, and uh, you guys remember, that was the church that had left their first love. They were doing everything right, you guys. You could be doing everything right, and there still be an issue with the Lord if you've left your first love because everything that we do should be motivated or should be flowing from our love for our Savior and our love for others as well. And so Jesus um, corrected them, gave them the not only the diagnosis or the prognosis, but he gave them the prescription, right? Remember from where you've fallen, repent, and redo the first works, right? 
So beautiful, so beautifully simple. He gives us the way to get back on track if we've left our first love. Second report card was to the church of, what church? Smyrna, that's right. Smyrna was the persecuted church. And they were doing everything right also. They had love for the Lord. They didn't leave their first love. They were loving the Lord. They were a pure church. And that's what persecution often does. Suffering often purifies us, causes us to, to cling closer um, to God, to cling, cling closer to Jesus. And so Jesus commended them. There was no rebuke for the church, no correction for the church. He told them to hang in there. You keep hanging in there. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But you keep enduring and there's promises. Jesus gives promises to each and every one of these churches for the overcomer, the one who overcomes, the one that's trusting in Jesus, the one that overcomes these deficiencies in the churches that um, receive those corrections. And so we move into the next church um, in chapter 2, verse 12. And by the way, churches today will identify with one of these seven churches. I mentioned that just a minute ago. It's important to ask ourselves that, God, which one are we? Which one of these churches are we? Because we want to please the Lord. We want to make him happy. You know, Lord, what would you say to us as a congregation? What would you say to us, um, those involved in leadership? And not only that, there's personal application for every one of us as individuals. Because individually, we can find ourselves in any one of these seven churches. And so we need to ask ourselves, Lord, search our hearts. Search my heart, Lord. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so um, this Bible study this morning, listen, I'm giving a, a disclaimer, will provoke us to search our hearts. And there will be some offensive stuff. There will be some offensive stuff this morning. Please don't get up and leave. We've got some men that will pick you up and bring you back in. So if you have a problem... You know, you know who to email, Dave Mago at wahoo.com. Just shoot him something. But uh, so let's, let's pick up in chapter uh, 2, verse 12. Here's what God's word says. I'm going to read the whole letter. And it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, and we know that's Jesus, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And so let me draw your attention back to verse 12. We're told this letter is given to or sent to the angel of the church in Pergamos. And angel literally means messenger. 
And so it can either be a ministering spirit like an angel. We see that same word used for a, literally for an angel um, that ministers. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that uh, God's angels are ministering spirits. But the word is also used throughout the New Testament as a physical minister also. I personally believe these letters are not written to angels they are written to the lead pastor of the church, the one that is, that is um, entrusted with caring for the flock, his, God's precious blood-bought people, to communicate the truth of God's word to them, to be faithful in that, to be faithful to feed, to lead, and to plead for God's people. And so we, we're, we're told that it's a church. By the way, there's a church there. What does church mean, by the way? Anybody know what church means? Called out ones. It's ekklesia in the Greek. We've been called out of what? Darkness, right? Called into, into his marvelous light, into his kingdom. We're part of a new family, part of a new kingdom now, right? Aren't you glad we have a family, you guys? I love this family, by the way. And so we're part of a family. We've been called out of darkness. And so this church, though, we see that Jesus had a few problems with this church. They were becoming worldly and compromising Rather than them shining brightly as we should, they were getting darker and darker in some of the areas of the church. Please notice where the church is located. We're told in verse 12 in Pergamos. Pergamos is 15 miles inland. If you have a Bible map, you can check it out in the back of your book, back of your Bible. It's 50 miles north of Smyrna. And what's interesting is as these letters were sent from Rome, if these letters came from Rome, or when letters were delivered from Rome to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, they would be traveling, the, the messenger or the mailman would travel in a circular route starting from uh, the first church was Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, and so forth. They would go in a circle delivering these letters. So this is the next, this is the next uh, church in that circuit, Pergamos, and Pergamos was the capital city of Asia Minor. So this is like a big city, like a New York, like a Paris, like a London. This is that kind of a city. Um, it's, it's, it was the most important city. It was the most uh, important politically, economically. Um, also, this city had a second largest library in all of the modern world at that time. And what's interesting is, remember, they didn't have like, like books like we have them. They had parchment. And parchment was, um, was discovered there. Actually, it was made there, parchment paper made out of animal skin. So they had to handwrite everything on parchment. And so they got this giant library there. It was an educational center, a commercial center. And not only that, it was a city under Roman rule. So Caesar, what, there was Caesar worship going on there. There was, there was uh, also these high places that were dedicated to the false gods they worshipped. Zeus, Asclepius was the god of medicine, and they also had an altar to Caesar, which we're going to talk about in a little while here. In any event, look at the end of verse 12. Jesus identifies himself, and remember he does that. He first identifies the church and then he identifies himself with a revel from the revelation in chapter 1, from something from that revelation that he gave to John. He identifies himself. But it's very important. It's not on an accident why he says this. He's the one with the sharp two-edged sword. Where do we read about sharp two-edged sword in our Bibles? The Word of God is living in, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, the the, 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 the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit also. 
In the Greek, there's two different words for sword. One's used for like a little, uh, like little hand knife kind of thing for in- fighting inside right here. And then the other is this big Thracian kind of barbarian sword that with one slice, you take someone out. They're done. That's the idea. That's the word being used here, by the way. Sword. It's a giant, big old sword. And uh, why is he saying this? Why is, he, why is Jesus using this to speak to the church? He's speaking about he's the one with the sharp two-edged sword because the sword speaks of justice and judgment. We're going to read, if you want to flip there with me, chapter 19. Chapter 19, when Jesus returns, when he brings justice and judgment, chapter 19, verse 15, it says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And so, now we flip back to chapter 2. Jesus also says in this letter in verse 16, he says, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. It speaks of not only justice and judgment, but it, it also speaks of correction as well. And so things were happening in this church that, um, that needed to be dealt with. And Jesus is saying to the church, if you won't deal with it, then I will. I will have to bring judgment. I will have to bring correction. That should get our attention right away. Spiritual compromise leads to disaster. Like a little, what's the Bible say? A little leaven does what? Leavens the whole lump. So a little bit of compromise, we allow that in. It begins to permeate. It begins to expand. It begins to grow. And so I think this would be important for the lead pastor of the church, the one receiving this letter. He'd be reminded of the supremacy of God's word, which is sharper than any double-edged sword. Because we live in a day and an age when what do people do? They pick and choose the things that they want to say, the things that they want to teach. In fact, there's church growth programs that are based upon that are based upon telling people what they want to hear, <laughs> highlighting those things that are pleasant to the ears and not sharing the entire counsel of God's word. That's why we go through God's word, you guys. From Genesis to Revelation, verse by verse, week after week, month after month, year after year, because then we get to know who God is, we get to know his heart, we get to know the things that pleases him, displeases him, we get to know him personally, you guys. And that's the thing we are to boast in, that we know and understand him, says the Lord. And so Jesus gives a commendation, though, first in verse 13. He says, number one, I know your works. Jesus knows the good stuff we do for him. Isn't that great to be reminded this morning? He knows. He sees. When, it, when, it, when no one else sees, no one else is giving you a pat on the back or saying you're really awesome, the Lord sees. He knows. And he should be the only one that we want to put, really put a smile upon his face because he knows our motives. He knows our hearts. He knows what's going on. And so he says, I know your works. You're pouring it out for me. And he says, I know where you dwell. I know where you live. You know Jesus knows where you live And for them, check this out, for them, that was a tough neighborhood, right? Crazy place. How crazy? That's where Satan's throne is. Isn't that what it says? I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, his base of operations. It seems like the devil's running things around here in this city. That's pretty heavy, you guys. And by the way, every time that when God uses the word Satan in his word, it's literal, it's not figurative. He's very real. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. By the way, he is not God's co-equal. 
Our God is the creator. He's a created being. Okay? Yes, he is, yes, he is out to what? To rob, to kill, and to destroy. But he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And not only that, the Bible tells us, I love this in 1 John, what it says. It says, uh, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin or not habitually sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. Isn't that beautiful? By the way, that's a great promise because uh, all his promises are yes and amen, right? 1 John 5.18. It's beautiful to be reminded of that. And so we have a very real enemy who opposes us, who opposes the work that God wants to do in us. That's why it's so important to stay close to Jesus, you guys, to keep looking to him in all things. And so Jesus commends them. He says, you hold fast to my name. What's that mean to hold fast? What's that mean to hold fast? To grab onto? You guys ever, anybody here have a dog? Remember when they're, I don't know, mine when he was little, we give him, I have a yellow lab, and we give him this rope toy, and he'd take it in his mouth, and you couldn't get that thing away from him. He'd be holding fast. You could shake it, try to pull it out. You could even lift him up. He'd still be hanging on it. <laughs> try, and you got to twist it around to get it out of his mouth. That's what that's that, what that word means, to hold fast, to, to cling to, to, to take, un, it means an unrelenting grasp on the name of Jesus. Do you have an unrelenting grasp on the name of Jesus? It speaks of who he is, his character. They were not ashamed of the name of Jesus in the midst of wickedness, in the midst of all the pagan stuff going on in this city. When there was pressure to deny the name of Jesus, they didn't deny him. Has that ever happened to you guys? Have you ever had like family members or coworkers say, like, lighten up with the Jesus thing, man? <laughs> I like the old you. Where's the old Mike? You know where the old Mike is? He's dead. <laughs> I'm alive. I'm a brand new creation. That old Mike is gone, man. How, is, is the name of Jesus still sweet to you? The name of Jesus was super sweet to this church. They held fast to the name of Jesus. But not only that, what else does it say? What's the second thing? He says, you did not deny my faith. They stayed faithful to Jesus. So he says to the church, not only are you bearing and sharing my name, but you didn't cave in to the pressure of denying the faith. And this was a pluralistic culture. In other words, they were saying there's more than one way to God. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is one of many ways, man. The problem is Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made it really simple. And so they were standing upon that. Even when there was pressure to cave, they didn't cave. And what happened? As they hung on to Jesus, as they hung on to trusting in him, what happened? The persecution ramped up, didn't it? He said, you did this even when, what does it say? Look what it says. Even in the days, as things got tougher, you held tighter. In the days of what? In the days of Antipas. That was probably some church member some church member who what? Who willingly gave his life for Jesus. It says Jesus calls him my faithful martyr. That word martyr means witness. That's what that word means. A faith, you are my faithful witness. And sometimes it means laying down your life for the Lord. A martyr can be someone that gives their life for Jesus. But we can live a martyr life right now, by the way. I'm, I, I'm, I'm no longer, I'm dead to the things of this world. I'm living for Jesus. My life is a testimony to him. 
In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you to be my witnesses, to be witnesses for him wherever he leads your feet. We need power to do that. We need that filling of the Spirit to be his witnesses. Here's a man that Jesus points to who stood up for him. And by the way, Antipas, his name means, I just found this out, his name means against all. Against all. And you know what this tells me? We can be faithful in bad places and rough circumstances. Wherever we live, we can be faithful for Jesus. Would you still follow Jesus if everyone else bailed out? If everyone else was against you? This guy, his, his name means against all. It doesn't matter. I'm going to stand for Jesus against all. No matter what everybody else is doing, I'm going to stand for the Lord. So Jesus commends them for that. But look at the next thing he says, the correction. Verse 14, he says, I have a few things against you. And so Jesus confronts the church for two issues. And so notice though, with, this, with me in this verse, it says, you have there those. So not everybody was holding this doctrine There were some in the church, again, this is our word hold, they were holding fast to this doctrine. What's doctrine mean? What does it mean? Teaching. There was some teaching that was being uh, promoted, that was being allowed in this church, and it's the doctrine of who? Balaam. You guys remember Balaam? You remember Balaam? In the New Testament, it talks about the error of Balaam, the greed of Balaam, the way of Balaam to avoid. You guys remember Balaam? Numbers chapter 22. If you're taking notes, you can go check it out later. Numbers chapter 22 to 25. And also chapter 31 kind of helps put the whole package together. Balaam was a prophet of God, you guys. He heard from God, gifted by God. And you remember, he was hired by this dude named Balak. What was happening at the time is Balak was this Moabite king, and all of a sudden the children of Israel were cruising northbound on the east side of the Jordan River, about to go into the promised land. And what was happening, the children of Israel were wiping out their enemies left and right, and this Moab king goes, you know what, we're going to get eaten up just like the grass. Just like an ox licks up or eats grass, we're going to get mowed down. We're next on the menu, so to speak. And so what does he do? He talks to his Midianite buddies and says, we got to get Balaam over here to curse them. Because we know his curses work. This guy, whatever he curses, it happens. So what do they do? They send for, for Balaam. He finally ends up coming after he hears about not only money, but being honored. He ends up coming, and what happens? You guys remember what happened? Balaam took him. They took Balaam up on a high mountain to curse the children of Israel. And what happened when he wanted to curse them? Only blessings came out, right? God said, you only say what I tell you to say, Balaam. And so he blessed them, and Balak's freaking out. I paid, I'm paying you big money to come and curse them. And by the way, listen, when someone says, someone says they're going to curse you as a child of God, just totally blow it. Just say, you know what? Go for it. God's going to protect me. Go for it. That's why I don't fear like witches and all those things, throwing curses. You're safe under God's covering, under his protection. And so he does it, what, three times? Three times it happens. Every time he blesses the children of Israel. And all the while, this Balak guy gets rebuked as well. And he freaks out. He's like, I hired, I, you're fired, dude. You're out of here, Balaam. Take off, man. Balaam gives one more beautiful prophecy. And he, take, he gets on his, remember his donkey that talked? He cruises on out of there. And then all of a sudden, he gets part way, and he's like, you know what? I'm turning down a huge opportunity here. 
for money, to be honored. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, right? And he turns around, turns his little donkey around, comes back and says, this is a loose paraphrase, dude, I'm so sorry, I know how to get them. You can't curse them. You can't curse them. They're under God's protection. But I know what you can do. If you get them out from underneath God's protection, you get them away from God's protection, being disobedient to his word, God's going to bring judgment upon them. Here's what you need to do. You round up your hot chicks. You, you grab all your hot women, and you send them down to the children of Israel's camp, and you, and you entice them to come out to be with them. You got them. Once they come out, you introduce them to your idols, your little idols, your little statues. You get them to start worshiping, partaking in your love feasts, and you got them. God's going to bring judgment upon them. And guess what happened? You guys know that's what happened. 20, I think it was 24,000 were killed in the plague that happened. That's heavy. Balaam erred against God. He was blinded by the desires of his own heart. Listen, our walk with Jesus is, is to be a walk in purity. And, and Jesus is reminding the church that there are some things that are impure that are happening in the church. There was some teaching sharing the, that things that were seducing Christians to be involved with what? With idolatry and sexual immorality. What was, the doc, what was being communicated to Pergamos? Think about it with me. As a believer, and here's what was being communicated. As a believer in Jesus Christ, it's okay to compromise, to commit sexual immorality, to commit idolatry. You're saved by grace, through faith. You have a license to do whatever you want to do. You have freedom and liberty in the Lord. These things are okay. It's okay to be a Christian and do this and do that. It's okay to have sexual relationships outside of marriage. It's cool to live for money. It's cool to live for stuff. What's idolatry, by the way? The worship of what? Anything other than God. It's what you give your life to. It's what you live for. It's okay to live for that. It's okay. God's cool with that. That's what was being promoted in the church. He's cool with that. He knows you live in an indulgent city. He, lives you, he knows you live in an immoral city, and it's tough. And so they were accommodating compromise. Does that sound familiar, by the way? Listen, we live in a culture of compromise right now, right here, in your face. People are being told right now in churches, it's okay to commit sexual immorality. You can be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and still choose any lifestyle that you desire. They're teaching that today, you guys, all around us. God wants, wants to give you a pass on whatever lifestyle you want to choose, even though he's clearly forbidden it in his word. The grace of God, whether it's homosexuality, sex outside of marriage, idolatry, materialism. The problem is God calls those things sin. Are you with me? God's infallible, inerrant, inspired word is to be obeyed and submitted to. The culture is not to fashion us. The word of God is to fashion us, to transform us. Well, pastor, don't you always say Jesus accepts us just the way we are? He sure does. But he doesn't leave us in that condition. He doesn't want to leave you in that, the way that he found you. What begins to happen? He begins to do this amazing work by the power of his spirit changing us. Jesus didn't save us to sin. He saved us from sin. He deals with the penalty and the power of sin. When we came to Jesus, we recognized we were going in the wrong direction and we needed to repent. 
We repented of the things that we were involved in, and we chose to go his way. And what happened when we chose to go his way? He began to change us, right? We, we become his workmanship, his piece of artwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, a beautiful, powerful work that he does in and through our lives by his grace and by the power of his spirit. So this church was allowing these things to happen. They were drifting. And then the second issue is in verse 15. Check it out with me. They said, or Jesus said to them, thus you also have those who hold, what, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And then notice what Jesus says, which thing I hate. If Jesus hates something, we should take notice, shouldn't we? So there were some in the church clinging to this type of teaching. The Nicolaitans, we talked about this a few weeks ago. You guys remember what the Nicolaitans, who they were? You guys remember the Nicolaitans? Those guys, they followed like St. Nick. Wear red outfits, long beards. Is that what we're talking about here? I think, the, I think really the entomology of the word or the, how the word is constructed helps us to understand. Nico means to conquer. Laetin, laity means people, conquering people, ruling over people. In other words, there was a spiritual hierarchy that was going on in the church. That happens today too, by the way, where men are elevated over everybody else. And you have to go to them to hear from God. You have to go to them to, to make decisions. You have to go to them. And listen, Jesus doesn't want anyone between us and him. There is one God and one mediator between God, the man Christ Jesus. One mediator, just him. right? He has your phone number, you guys. He wants to speak to you directly. And so Jesus hated that. Our job is to point people to Jesus, you guys, to point people straight to him, not to a man, not to a religion, not to a religious system. And Jesus says in verse 16, check it out, repent. Immediately, repent. What does repent mean? To turn, have a change of heart, change of mind. It, like Really simple, stop what you're doing. Stop going the way you're going. <coughs> What does Jesus say to a church compromising with sexual immorality? What does Jesus say to a church that's involved in idolatry? What does Jesus say to a church with a higher, spiritual hierarchy? He says, stop it. Stop doing that right now. Quit it. Or else, he says what? Anytime Jesus says, or else, that's pretty heavy. Or else, I will come quickly. And notice what he says. I will fight against them. Isn't that interesting? I will fight against them, those engaged in this teaching, those practicing. He calls the whole church to repent, by the way. <coughs> but he says specifically, I'm going to come. If you won't deal with them, church, if you won't police yourselves, if you won't call sin, sin, if you won't lovingly, biblically correct them, Jesus says, I'm going to have to come and deal with them with the sword of my mouth. That is heavy. Jesus, you know, Jesus gives us time to repent, doesn't he? Aren't you glad he does? He doesn't like bring the hammer down, the sword on you. He says to us, if there's compromise in your life, if you've, if you've accommodated a lifestyle or an attitude or things that are not according to the word, you need to deal with this before I deal with it for you. And he will, by the way. Why? Because he loves you. Jesus will say later to the church of Laodicea and to us, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. 
Therefore, be zealous and repent. Listen, if I'm not in the Word, if you're not in the Word, you're not going to hear from God. If you're not in the Word, spending time with Him, you're not going to hear from Him. And what does He have to do sometimes? He has to turn up the volume, doesn't He? To get our attention. Does that ever happen to anybody else but me? He has to turn up the volume. And we need to listen. If you, if you harden your heart, look out. If you harden your heart to Him. You, you, ever, you ever been with someone that wiped out? And you sit down with them, and you talk to them, and they begin to share with you what happened. It's so interesting what people say. I, I knew that God was talking to me. I knew it. And I kept tuning him out, and tuning him out, and tuning him out. And he kept turning up the volume, and I kept getting harder and harder and harder, and not listening. And then, boom, this is what had to happen to get my attention. It's heavy, man. Heavy. And then he says, verse 17, as we finish here, last verse, he who has an ear, you guys have ears this morning? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the, what does your Bible say? Church is plural. We need to hear what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is speaking. We need to have, individually, we need, we need to have ears ears of our hearts, what the Holy Spirit is saying. And then he says what? To him who overcomes. What's an overcomer? How do I become an overcomer? 1 John 5.5 5, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. First John 5 5 defines an overcomer for us, but also overcoming these deficiencies that are being talked about here. The sexual immorality, the idolatry, the compromise, these things. He says to the overcomer, three, there's a promise here, three things. What are they? What's the first thing? Hidden manna. What's manna? Food from heaven, right? You guys remember that when the children of Israel needed food, God provided them with Man, manna means what is it? Because that's what they were saying. What is it? So he said, the rest of the time you eat this stuff, it's going to be called manna. What is it? Manna, like angel food. God provided for them. Took care of them. God's gracious provision. Remember later what happened? They put the, some of the manna in the, the jar. And where was it put? In the Ark of the Covenant, right? A reminder of, their, of God's past provision. But it was also, it also looked forward to a future provision. Really? Sure does. John chapter 6. Jesus is going to give us some hidden manna. John 6. I'm going to read these verses. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus promises what? Eternal sustenance, eternal satisfaction. He's the one that will satisfy us. What's the second thing that's promised to the church of Pergamos, to the overcomer? 
What's the second thing we see? I will give him a white stone. What is that? A white stone. What in the world does that mean? In the court of law in ancient times, a white stone would be given to someone that was acquitted, that was not guilty. A black stone, you'd be guilty. We get the saying blackballed. Everybody heard that? Heard that saying? That guy was blackballed. They had, the, they had that when you surf in Southern California, they put up a black ball and you can't go out and surf and get blackballed. So white stone means you are acquitted. You're not guilty. But not just that. It was also given for Olympic games. If you got a white stone, it would, it would provide you like, uh, like access to the banqueting feast, to a huge feast also. So how cool is that? Because guess what feast we get to partake in? The marriage supper of the lamb, you guys. So you're not guilty, and you get to partake in this beautiful feast. But what's on the stone? Look at one more thing. It says, and on the stone, a new name written. A new name written, you guys. We see God gives new names to people in the Bible, doesn't he? Abram became Sarai. Sarah, right? Jacob. Simon. Yeah, you guys know. You get new names, right? Only Jesus and you will know that name. I love this because I've got special personal names for Tanya. No one else knows but her and me. And it speaks of something personal, something intimate, for that one that you love. Jesus has a personal name for you that is intimate, that's going to be special. Isn't that great? He cares that much about you. So for the overcomer, we want to listen. Allow the word of God this morning to search your heart. To say, Lord, search me. It says in Psalm 139, I'm going to probably read this a few times as we go through. It says in Psalm 139, David said, and we have to be open to this. David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Isn't that beautiful? Search us, Lord. Lead us and guide us for your glory. In Jesus' name, Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning, for the weight of it, the necessity of hearing from you this morning. Thank you, Lord. You tell us your sheep hear your voice and they follow you. And so, Lord, we thank you for so great a salvation, so great a Savior. We rest in your promises. We rest in your faithfulness this morning. And Lord, we pray this morning that as you search our hearts, that if there's anything there, God, that you would reveal it, that we would be quick to repent, to stop, to change directions, to confess. You tell us if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So search us, Lord, this morning. You're the one that searches the hearts and minds. Nothing's hidden from you. We can hide stuff from one another. We can become pretty proficient at that, but we can't hide from you. This morning, as we're in an attitude of prayer, maybe the Lord's dealing with your heart this morning on some of these issues we've touched upon. Would you do business with the Lord right now? The Lord sees, he knows.
Allow the Spirit to work in your heart to bring healing and help and cleansing to your heart, to your life this morning. Jesus promises satisfaction. You've been trying to find satisfaction elsewhere. Maybe it's with materialism or sexual immorality or power. And Lord, just, we just read that he's going to give us the hidden manna that he, he promised to provide himself the one who satisfies our thirsts, our hungers. And maybe you found yourself trying to satisfy with your, your hunger, your thirst with those things of this world. It's, it's time to do business with the Lord this morning. Give it to Him. Repent, forsake that thing, find mercy. And as we're still in an attitude of prayer, maybe you've been listening and you've never come to that place of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The one who came from heaven to earth. He died on the cross for your sins. He suffered, died, and was buried and rose again on the third day. And he offers forgiveness and the hope of eternal life to anyone that will repent and place their trust in him. And if that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. I want to lead you in a prayer as you open your heart to Jesus If that's you this morning, will you raise up your hand? Can I pray with you right now? You're saying, yeah, pastor, that's me. I don't know Jesus personally. I want to surrender today to you. Anyone at all here this morning? Anyone at all? Lord, we thank you. We rejoice in so great, again, salvation, so great a Savior you are. Such a great shepherd. Thank you for how you shepherd our lives. How you're patient with us. Give us time to repent. And you speak to us after we've blown it and to help us get back on the right path. And so, Lord, as we make those adjustments this morning, individually and corporately, Lord, if needed, that we would see you work in a powerful way by the power of your Spirit in our lives and in our homes and in your church. And so we bless you, we thank you, and it's in your precious and holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.